You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Come on, Nicholas. It's time to rock. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. Welcome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> time for another episode <laughs> of forever night and despite matt's commentary over there i am happy to note that he is now laughing out loud several times during each episode at things that are meant to be jokes so i feel like i have made a convert out of you you might if i put this on. i don't think i had to be converted just exposed well you had to yeah you had to actually give it a chance which is true for most of these vintage television shows. You just got to give them a chance. And I think if I put it on and you walked through the room, you'd stop. Watch it. So that's my definition of success for this evening. Cool. I guess we'll just get started because this episode was a wild time. Everybody was tripping, even Nick. Even Nick. So, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we open in a music video, which this is the most 90s hairstyle I have ever seen in my entire life. Mm, the close. perm, the coiled perm, I don't know what you want to call that, but the, just the, it's a lot. It's a lot. And if you recognize this woman playing Rebecca, congratulations, she played Alma in Dark Knight. Oh. I didn't know that. Bold of them to recycle an actress for a major part in the later episode. Usually they're just filling in bit parts. They're right. not create they're not being a major act Who was Alma in Rebecca? Dark Knight? Oh. What did the Alma character do? She's the one who seduced Skanky in the Raven when he went oh. back and he was like, My father fooled around. It's a family tradition. Gotcha. And he snuck back alone, and that's when he almost became a permanent member of the night shift. Right, especially since we flashed back to that at least once. Yeah, I think so. I think twice. Yeah, it was just a bold choice. But of course, you couldn't go back and check, so they didn't care. But we open in this music video, and the song is Fan Kill. And it's a song all about this actress, not actress. It, well, she's an actress, but it's a very nuanced message. There's <laughs> layers of meaning here. Depth. It and means she wants to kill her fans. Yeah, that literally she's over this shit, and she wants all of her fans to die. 
And we do a nice transition from the music video to somebody watching the music video, which is a gentleman in a hotel room, and he's naked from the waist up, and he's in the bed with a woman who's naked from the all the up and down, <laughs> which Matt was like, oh, she's not wearing any clothes. <laughs> but he gets pulled away from watching this video, and... Uh, she sneaks up behind him. Yeah, there's an implied... Wraps herself around him. Implied lead up to an intimate moment because she is very aggressively rubbing his face. Just like... That's a little weird. It's a yeah. little weird. Uh, but the weirder part is when she pulls a well, knife. She, she moves around and straddles him. Yeah. And then, and then we're flashing back and forth between the them in the video. bed and the music video. Yeah. And in the music video, as part of her act about wanting to kill the fans she has this big knife and and then uh, the lady in the bed who looks a lot like her well it's just her hair we only see it's her from implied the that it is her yeah because we only see her from the um, back and she and pulls the knife the out from the same long blonde hair under the pillow and stabby stabby yeah stabs him and we find out he has it we zoom in on his tattoo that says Rebecca fan for life. So, and that's we our had opening. we had the little um, like title caption on the music video so that we know that the lady singing is Rebecca, right? And then this guy was a Rebecca fan, right? Yeah, back when they used to play music videos on the television, and the way that you knew what the record artist song title was was a little title card. In the bottom left-hand corner. Yeah, it's not like Spotify where it scrolls across the whole time. Right. So we open with both the tragedy of this music video and the tragedy of this man getting murdered during an intimate moment. And then we cut to our credit scene. And when we come back, uh, Stone Tree is calling everybody in early. He's talking to Skanky. He's like, look at this place. It's a ghost town. I got to get it. I got to get people in here. I got to fill the I got to fill the room. Skanky is really familiar with Stone Tree, like overly familiar with someone who is in a position of authority because he's like, ah, Captain, I think you're overreacting. I don't think you need to bring everybody in. You're being ridiculous. And Stone Tree's like, Skanky, I don't think you get to make that call. And as evidence, he puts on an interview, like a TV interview, and it's this reporter interviewing people on the streets. On the streets about how upset everyone is with Rebecca for this music video. And we get these really funny Toronto surfer dude. No, it is not just a, an innocent entertainment. It's a stupid and dangerous attitude. Kidding? Like, we love her and she wants to kill us? Like, a really nice way to say thanks, Rebecca. That's right, man. Like, who the hell does she think she is? I mean, like, kill her, man. Like, she's totally dissing her fans. Like, Maybe she should die. Are you going to her concert? <laughs> Freaking right, man. <laughs> this is how upset Canadians get. <laughs> Clearly it's not. I mean, it's a big deal, but not that big of a deal. It's selling her records. It's selling her tickets, which is probably exactly what it was designed to do. He does end up agreeing with Stone Tree, though, because uh, Stone Tree's like, you see what I'm talking about? And Skanky says, uh, teenage angst. Stone Tree's like, no, death threats, Skanky. Skanky's like, like, I got the stadium full of cops 
and whatever, and I still have to keep like regular cops on the street, right? While the stadium is full of cops. Yeah, and then we get a weird dream sequence. We cut to a diner, which we don't immediately know this is a dream, but we cut to a diner, and it's a little bit anachronistic. There's people in different period costumes. It's a little bit strange, but Natalie and Nick are eating there and they bring him a whole bunch of food. And she's like, oh my God, Nick, don't you think you're overdoing it? And he's like, you've got no idea what it's like to have lived almost 800 years and never have tasted a French fry. And then he gets the ketchup and he goes to squeeze the ketchup on the fries. But it's a little too bloody liquidy. (laughs) It's blood. And he very deliberately pulls this saturated fry out from the bottom and holds it up. And he's like, (gasps) And the blood drips. Yeah, he's like, it's blood, Natalie. And then he looks around and everybody has blood on their hands or they're drinking blood or whatever. And then suddenly the waitress is Jeanette and the short order cook is LaCroix and everybody's laughing at him. And he wakes up and he's sweating blood. And he's woken up because Skanky has called him because Stone Tree is literally calling everyone in because no one gives a shit about the fact that Nick is allergic to sunlight. Right. I don't know how many times it must come up where he's like, I I can't, I'm allergic to sunlight. And they're like, "Eh, how allergic? (laughs) Because... They never believe him. They're always like, okay, yeah, Nick, you're allergic to sunlight. Well, can you come in during the day? That'd be great, thanks. (laughs) We really need you here. Oh, and there's that scene during the dream sequence where they pour blood in the coffee cup. Yes. And we get that very deliberate, well-done drip down the side of the coffee cup. That's a well-executed drip. It is, and it reminded me of a line from Daybreakers where the guy, there's like a coffee shop. And the guy takes his coffee cup back to the coffee shop and he goes, I want more fucking blood in my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Daybreakers is a good movie. Oh, I love the detail that even LaCroix has a pencil behind his ear. Like they fully made him up as the short order cook. Yeah. Um, Which I've tried to find gifts of Forever Night before. And pretty much the only one I can ever find is this one of LaCroix behind the counter in the like period short order cook uniform with like blood dripping from his mouth, just laughing hysterically. Yeah. Which if you had to sum up LaCroix, is it a bad gif? I don't think so. This also sets us up for what is kind of the overarching theme for the episode for Nick, which is his isolation from reality, from real people, from mortality, which is, What I love so much about this show, and I'm really glad that we're doing this together and watching it through in order, because I can't tell you the last time I watched this through in order. And there's definitely episodes that I'm like, oh no, that's the weird one. I'm not going to watch that one. So I don't know that I watched this episode anytime recently. Okay. And a lot of other vampire shows focus on like the hunger, blood needing blood, whatever. But in this one, it's effectively a solved problem. He, Yes, he's not happy with his choice of beverage, but it's not something that harms his ability to interact with normal people. The way that he wants to interact. The way that he wants to interact. It may impact his ability to use vampire abilities. Right. 
because he's a little bit weaker. Uh, but he doesn't really want to depend on those. And drinking animal blood instead of human blood lets him live a normal enough life that yeah. he can interact with society the way that he, or at least in a manner close to approaching what he would want to do. And by treating this as like a solved problem, by not emphasizing the whole like hunger blood issue, we really get to explore isolation and the fact that immortality is inherently isolating. Right. There's the scene in the, um, in the jail cell. Yeah. Where Rebecca is talking to Nick. And I thought that was a really good metaphor for, or they were drawing a really good parallel uh, between Rebecca's almost like involuntary fame, yeah, and uh, and Nick's vampirism, yeah, and the like all of the downsides of being famous, but you don't actually get to be famous, right? Yeah, and that we explore that a lot in this episode is his feeling of isolation, the fact that he's not just immortal. He literally has to watch everyone that he loves die. And no matter how much he loves a life, he can never keep it. And so he's always going to have to move on. Yep. And everyone in his life, except for the people that sort of drive him nuts, like LaCroix and Jeanette, to a certain extent, are all transient. They will all disappear. And so in the end, he's alone. And we talk about that a lot in this episode. And this is definitely an episode where we have to put on our 90s glasses. Because we explore these themes in ways that seem overtly ridiculous. They were not intended to be. And at the time, they were probably not viewed as such. But with our 2023 eyes, when Nick just hauls off and starts hallucinating and looking at television screens of the life he can't have it feels a little heavy-handed yeah but they were trying to convey this in a way that the majority of people could understand in well, i a think they were trying to like match the aesthetic of music videos yeah in yes. in the way that nick was imagining his uh, separation from right. society. And I think this whole episode is supposed to play like an episodic music video where you get this odd symbolism as because you had what music videos are short form, right? You have right. three to four minutes to convey whatever the artist wished to convey in their and whatever the music director video. wished to convey that right. has nothing whatever to do you were, with the music. Whatever you were trying to get across, you had four minutes. In yeah. this case, we have 45 minutes. And so we're trying to show the viewer the depth of Nick's isolation and loneliness in 45 minutes. And yeah. so they do a really good job of that. So just put the 90s glasses on. It's okay if it's a little bit silly, but just realize what they were trying to say. 
And so we set it up almost immediately because Nick wakes up from this weird dream and we're already supposed to be sort of conflating Rebecca's situation and Nick's situation because they are on parallel trajectories when they yes. wake up. They both wake up a little hungover. They both, they both drink out of a glass bottle. Yeah, they immediately go for a bottle. She says, I think I'll have the continental breakfast. He says, what day is it? What century is it? Time is it? Day is it? What century is it? And they're both alone having this moment in the morning, which is like, fuck, I woke up again. And I'm still living the same life I love I was when I went to sleep. Shit. Because Nick even like sits down and leans against the wall. He's like, here's to my health, and holds up the bottle. And to continue the parallel, Rebecca's manager is talking to her on the phone. Almost berating her. Yeah, and Nick... About how she needs to get in. Nick is listening to Skanky leave a voicemail on his voicemail machine, his answering machine. And he actually says, Stone Tree's sweating blood, which I thought was kind of funny, because Nick literally sweats blood. (laughs) Funny joke. But mostly it's like, come in, we need you. And for some reason, Nick does. Um, Yeah, he suits up, full coverage. Yeah. Drives his car in. During the day. And meanwhile, Skanky has gotten a little bit shamed for his music taste. Because they're listening to the radio, and he's like, I just don't understand rock these days. And then the announcer says, coming up next, it's BTO. (laughs) And Skanky's like, finally, some hard rock. And then it finishes on the easy listening station. (laughs) And Skanky's like... BTO is it easy listening? I don't listen to easy listening music. I listen to like hard. I'm I keep up with the youths. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Skanky is. Skanky has a lot of awkward scenes. Ah uh, yeah, but Stone Tree comes out and he's like, God, has anybody seen Nick? Isn't he coming in? I literally told everybody they had to come in, even though Nick might actually die. Which he has told me multiple times, Uh, and I just don't seem to believe it. And Skanky has his back. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's on his way. He'll be here in a couple minutes. And so somebody looks out the window, and they're like, isn't that Nick's car outside already? Because Nick's stuck in the car. He can get to the station, but he can't get from the station to the inside. And so Skanky comes out, and Nick just slides over, probably because his Cadillac is just one long seat in the front. So it's easy enough to just slide over. He probably doesn't have a console in the middle. No, 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 it's, it's just like, like a, a bench. bench seat. And so he slides over and Skanky gets in. He's like, I have a question for you. Do you think BTO is easy listening? And Nick's like, I really don't fucking care. I'm just trying not to burst into flames right, right now. I'm trying to stay uh, not dead. Would you ever consider Bachman Turner Overdrive easy listening? Can we get out of here, please? Nice outfit. Don't you think you're overreacting a little to this ozone thing? Not really. Drive. Have you been to a barbecue or something? Would you just drive? Seriously, BTO easy listening. I think not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not overreacting. That's the whole fucking point. Nobody ever sees this. This is to why I work me. the night shift. This is why I work the night shift. And so we go to the hotel, and it occurred to me that Natalie might be a psychopath because she very cheerfully tells everybody that the stab marks on the body 
are in such a nice, neat little row. And it reminded me of that scene from Dexter when they go to the swimming pool and all of the like bloodless pieces of body are wrapped and gently arranged in the swimming pool. And everyone's and like, like uh-huh. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my God, that's grotesque. And he's like, that's so fucking gorgeous. <laughs> There's no blood anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's so enamored with the presentation. And so Natalie, and every time we've seen Natalie interact with the body in the last three or four episodes, she's been very glib about it. Except, oh no, we haven't done the episode with the burn body yet. Never mind. No, you were watching ahead the other night. I know, I did. I watched some season two. Sorry. Never mind. Anyway, it occurred to me that she might be a little bit left of center. Which explains why she was like, oh, you're a vampire? Sweet. We could work together. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thought that was interesting. I figured it was part of the almost surreal aspect of this episode could be it's also so we can later reference the fact that the nice neat little rose because rebecca claims she was so shit-faced she couldn't remember what was happening so how could someone who was so drunk they literally were blackout drunk stab somebody in nice neat little rose right yeah she's also not shocked to see nick even though it's daytime she's just like oh hey everybody Check out this body. It's pretty freaking sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Nick is asking questions, and it's clear he doesn't know who's staying in this hotel room because the register says some rather he nor Skanky. Yeah. And Natalie's like, oh, come on. Don't you guys know? This is Rebecca's room. And they're like, oh, shit. Stone Tree was right. (laughs) We really did need to come in. And so we cut to the concert because Rebecca has arrived and they've decided to do like, it doesn't really matter. She's drunk. She's so drunk. They're going to do a recorded, they're going to do a recorded lip sync. And we get to see her singing fan kill live, quote unquote live on stage. And she literally takes out a nine millimeter automatic and fires it into the crowd She's got to be firing blanks. Oh, obviously. But as someone, an American, in 2023, this was hard to see because you're like... Because this has literally happened. This has literally fucking happened and people died. Yeah. And it happens on average, what, like every day? At least Uh, once a day? It's like 1.3 mass shootings per day. Yeah. So to watch this treated as a narrative device in a television show was like, wow, wow. Which were what? When is, when is uh, Columbine? 1999. Yeah, we're like seven years, seven, six, seven years away from Columbine. Yeah. Anyway, I just, that was, but they're watching it. Skanky and Nick. And. Nick is like, oh, Skanky, you like this kind of music? You keeping up with the times? And Skanky's like, yeah, I try. But do you think Mick Jagger ever feels old? (laughs) And Nick's like, well, I don't know about Mick, but I sure as shit do sometimes. Right. Never, 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 never. Fighting it all the way. Think Mick Jagger ever feels old? Well, I don't know about Mick, but I know I sure as hell sometimes do. Uh, Yeah. 
And Skanky does try to relate to the youths. He's trying to talk about... And he tries way too hard. BTO with this little younger girl. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think my dad had that album. Yeah. And then the manager comes over and he gets another, oh, my God, casual 90s sexism line where he's like, oh, you guys want something? Like, can I buy you off? I can give you money or seats or whatever, but I can't give you a backup singer anymore. That's frowned upon now. Yeah. He's like, normally I'd give you each a backup singer, but we're not allowed to do that anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. And so Nick decides that this is the perfect moment to have a hallucination. I'm not going to call this a flashback. We don't really have a flashback in this episode. We just have random asides where he just hallucinates for a second. Well, she starts singing a song, which is the dark side of the glass. And she says a line. It really resonates with me. Yeah, because she says a line right before where she says, I can't see you guys past all these lights. Um, I know you're all out there. They tell me there's 10,000 of you guys out there. So then why do I feel so alone? Yeah. And Nick's like, oh, my God, I feel seen. (laughs) So I'm going to hallucinate for a second. And as she's singing the music video, as she's singing this song, which is not a bad song. I like this song. um, He is seeing himself watching other people's lives. And, and then al- they keep looking awkwardly at him. Yeah, and then always being driven out. Yeah. He can never get close before he has to leave. And he, like he sees a, uh, a man with his son. He sees a family eating together at like a family reunion kind of thing. Uh, he just keeps seeing. And he keeps, ge- like in each scene, he's gesturing appropriately. Like the father and son are playing catch. Mm-hmm. And he holds his hand up like he's going to throw a ball. Yeah. And so it's like, I can never be a part of the life that I want. I can't have that life. They're all daylit scenes, too. They're all, mm-hmm. like, aggressively daylit so that we know this is, like, humanity. This is humanity that he keeps getting close to and then having to leave. And he comes back to himself a little bit, and Skanky is watching it, and he's like, man, she's really got it made. What do you think it's like up there? And Nick just says... Lonely. Because he's... He knows. He's vibing. He's feeling this. He's no, He knows what it's like to be... I mean, ostensibly, he's something that other people would seek to be. Right? Right. He's powerful. Right. Just like immortal. she's famous and rich, yeah. and everybody who interacts with her adores her. He's immortal and powerful and whatever. But ultimately alone. But it the... Um, the negatives outweigh the benefits for Nick because I he's think refused for Rebecca too. Yeah. For Rebecca yeah. too. So he sees himself and Rebecca that she's yeah. not embraced this life because he has also not embraced the life that was sort of forced on him. Forced, not forced, depending on how you look at it. I mean, he, he said yes, but did he really know? He couldn't know what he was agreeing to. Right. As we've discussed before. Yeah. And, Jeanette was implying other things. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was only there for a night of a romance. <laughs> and uh, he didn't. And maybe he got the romance, but he got more than he bargained for. And he spent the last 800 years trying to make up for it. Oh, give or ah. take. Give or take a couple centuries yeah. here and there. But they end up in the changing room, the dressing room. 
and the manager kicks everybody out because at this point he knows that uh, she's on she's under suspicion for murder, and she's not taking it seriously at all. She's just making cracks. Uh, it's good banter though. It's good banter, but she is like, I, I'm not. What 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 is this? What's happening? I don't I don't care what's going on. They're like. Do you know Billy Conway? He was with you all night last night. She's like, all night? Hmm. And Nick is like, listen, I really think you should take this seriously. She's like, oh my God, you guys aren't really kidding, are you? And so they take her back to, to be interrogated in their little interrogation room. And she has a lawyer who keeps shutting her up every time she tries to talk. But she says, you know, I was too drunk to remember. I was out at some club. I don't know. And they're like, well, can we get some kind of an alibi? And she's like, no, because I was in disguise. The whole point of going out is to have fun. And I can't have fun if I'm me. And she ends up confessing because Nick is like, Nick walks out of the room. They're in the hallway and Skanky and he are arguing because Nick is like, she's not a killer. She's absolutely not a killer. I don't believe it. I don't know who did kill her or who did kill Billy Conway, but it was not Rebecca. And Skanky's like, oh, please. She's so detached from reality. She would kill anybody, and she doesn't know what the consequences are. Right. Hey, heavy-handed metaphor. <laughs> and Rebecca confesses. She says she did it. Right. Her lawyer probably advised her. Well, I think she yeah. wanted an out, and she saw this as an out. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this could be an out from the lifestyle that she's come to regret. Yeah. And yeah. she doesn't have, she's under contract. She's owned by the studio for at least one more album. And whatever, the 52 city tour she's going on, and she's got years and years and years of contractual obligations left. And she's drinking every night to escape, but this is one, this is a escape she can do for good, which is just be in prison. And so Nick is headed somewhere. And there's a crowd now outside because they've realized that Rebecca has been arrested and that she's at this police precinct. And as he cuts his way through the crowd, somebody hands him something. And they have a deliberate, like, shared eye moment. And it's a bald guy. He's got, like... Yeah, distinctive look. Yeah. And it's a little... Like a little envelope. Which is another thing that wouldn't happen now. Is you couldn't right, now just, would be a flash drive. Well, you couldn't randomly hand a police officer a package oh, and expect true. them to just carry it into the police station. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but it's Polaroids of someone in a blonde wig with sunglasses on. And they're all like, huh, that's weird. I don't know why somebody would give us these Polaroids. That's just, huh, so strange. Weird. No idea. Unconnected, obviously, because Rebecca confessed. But apparently it's bugging Nick. Yeah. Oh, of course it's bugging Nick because he knows she confessed on purpose. Right. Because he sees himself in her and he knows that's what he would do just to get out. And Skanky's like, well, you guys, best of luck. But I've been here since dawn and I'm out. I'm going to be- I'm going home. So he goes to leave and there's all these police. There's all these reporters and people standing around outside. And he's like, oh, my God, it's freaking Woodstock out there. And Nick's like, <laughs> Woodstock. And so Skanky's like, you were not at Woodstock. And Nick was like, hmm, yeah, definitely not at Woodstock. And so as Skanky walks away, Nick's like, yeah, I was there. I was there with the Grateful Dead. On second thought, maybe I'll take the long way around. Rebecca's van still camped out. 
Yeah, word's up big time. By sunup, it's gonna be Woodstock out there. Woodstock? Yeah, Woodstock. You were there? <laughs> yeah, right, in macrame diapers. And Janis Joplin sang you a lullaby. <laughs> You're full of it, Mike. Actually, I was with the Grateful Dead. <laughs> and then we get another slice of Nick's. Let's Which call is another it... vampire pun. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but let's call it Nick's music video that he's composing in his head for himself, mm-hmm. set to this song. And this is his concert, where LaCroix like, your soul's been sold out for days. Yeah, in 23 cities. In 23 cities. It's a really weird line. And then like the light bulbs around his dressing table start exploding. And then he goes out on stage and he has a guitar. And then he like vamps out and starts floating. And then everybody starts booing him. And then he comes back to himself. And I think he's actually asleep this time when he wakes up. He wakes up. Okay, so this was actually another dream. Yeah, because he, remember, he saw the ball guy in the crowd. And he saw someone in the crowd wearing the wig and sunglasses and dress. Yeah, and he's like, oh, snap, I get it. Those re- those Polaroids are of Rebecca, because she said she was in, in disguise. So he goes to her t- hotel room, and sure enough, he finds Fine. the He wig. finds that outfit from the Polaroids. Yep, and we cut back to Skanky. Which exonerates her. Obviously. And so we cut back to Skanky, and Skanky is our comic relief for this episode. Nick is dealing with some heavy shit. Rebecca is dealing with some heavy shit. In this case, it's actually Nick who's working the case and Skanky just fucking off. Yeah. They they bat back and forth a little bit. Um, it depends on how serious each one thinks the case is. Skanky thinks the case is solved. Exactly. So he's done with it. Nick is not willing to settle for anything less than absolute justice. And so he continues to work the case. But meanwhile, Skanky gets the opportunity to be our comedic relief because he's listening to some rock and roll music and he just takes the headphones off. I don't get it. I don't get it. And Stone Tree says, are you ready for that Neil Diamond CD I've got in my office? And he's like, no, that's just in case of emergencies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Just don't get it, okay? I, I, I give. Ready for that Neil Diamond CD in my office? No, 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 it's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. That's only in case of emergency, I'm fine. <laughs> so Nick calls him, saving him from having to try to listen to more rock and roll. And he's like, you still got those Polaroids? And Skanky's like, yeah, w- what about him? And he says Polaroids take up to a year to develop. Uh, this sounds like forensic BS. This looks a little, sounds a little hand-wavy. I googled around a little bit, and this might be something that Because Polaroid just came back out, Polaroids are enjoying a renaissance right now, Mm -hmm. all the information I could find was recent. Okay. So any article I might have been able to find about the length of time it took for a original release Polaroid to develop, I couldn't find. I did find that, yes, there are still active development chemicals for up to 30 days afterwards. But nothing about it taking up to a year. Uh, but anyway, Nick is like, oh, oh, they take a longer, they take longer to develop than you think they do. They can take up to a year to fully develop. Uh, so you need to send those to Natalie and have Natalie date them, which I love how Natalie is the entire forensics department. Right. 
All information and data that is gathered all goes to Natalie, and Natalie handles all of it. She's the coroner, so she's literally only supposed to handle the bodies. remains, the bodies. But she handles everything else, too. I'd love to know if this was business as usual or if this is a shortcut so we don't have to have a forensic. Oh, it's department. just a shortcut. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, Rebecca is in like lockup. She's in the holding cells. And she's traded her sunglasses for a guitar, and she's playing the guitar, and she actually sounds really good just playing the guitar. And it brought to mind the question, if she is an alcoholic like an every-night blackout drug alcoholic. They just dropped her in this holding cell for days at this point. She could die. She could literally die. They are not putting her on any kind of supervised detox. Alcohol is one of the most dangerous things to withdraw from. Yep. And they were just like, you're probably going to be fine. You're young. You're healthy. It's fine. So I just want to point out, this is a scientific inaccuracy. If the Polaroid thing wasn't a scientific inaccuracy, the unsupervised detox that Rebecca is going through is a scientific inaccuracy. And this is where we get Nick's very poignant chat with Rebecca, where we're really seeing him and her through each other's eyes. Because she's explaining how, as a child, she wanted this. She wanted fame. She wanted fame. And if she had known what it meant, she never would have done it. And Nick is feeling it. Everything she's saying, he's like, totally, I get it. Absolutely. And she's like, this is my chance. I'm, I'm going to be able to be free, finally, of everything that has happened to me. This image that they've created for me. Because he says, why don't you just change your image? Or you don't want to ruin your image when she's playing the guitar. And she's like, oh, don't worry. I couldn't bend, fold, mutilate, or spindle my image even if I wanted to. Right, because they have so many PR people right, working because on her. she is a construction of the studio to sell records. Right. And she's like, I have become something where I feel like I can't be myself. Like myself is being taken from me by all of these people that worship me. And unbeknownst to her, Nick has exonerated her. Now, it wasn't the Polaroids, believe it or not. It was the DNA on the knife. Her, her DNA wasn't on the knife. Right. And so that gets her out. And, but the Polaroids may, or not, I don't know. Polaroids I, could have done it. Could have done it. Also. But they come in to get her out, her manager, her press secretary, her lawyer. Everybody shows up all at once. And this huge crowd of people come in and surround Rebecca. And Nick is over in the corner of the cell by himself. Lonely old Nick. Lonely Nick. And even when the manager is like, you have that guy to thank over there. He's the one who got you off. Nick is just like, what's up? <laughs> He's just standing in the corner. All of this life and busyness is happening over here. And Nick is over by himself, which is just that little bit of symbolism. And it ends up tipping him into another music video moment. Because as soon as they walk out, LaCroix shows up with a giant, like, comically large key ring. And he's banging it up and down on the cell bars. And he's like, oh, oh, poor Nicky. Do you want out? Do you want me to fix it? Do you want to be better? And Nick's like, yeah, I do. And LaCroix is like... <laughs> He's no. like, you want release? He's like, you And then he's like, no, there is no release. He's like, there's no release. You're stuck. 
enjoy. And he, you don't get out that easy. He growls at him and then starts laughing hysterically and just leaves. Because even hallucinatory LaCroix is my favorite character. Which is funny that Nick has this. That's the construct of LaCroix that exists in Nick's mind. Because he's puppeting all these characters. This isn't a memory. Oh, yeah. And so the overly, over-the-top, rub-it-in-your-face, you're never getting out of this, I'm going to laugh at your attempts to even try to get out of it, is how he sees LaCroix. At least he has an accurate representation of LaCroix. Yeah. And then we get a little bit of, uh, I mean, we get a Rebecca Shrine. We find out that the the bald guy is plotting to kill her in revenge for this fan kill thing i mean uh there's plot it's a little bit secondary we're uninterested in it we're i was personally just in this for i'm all about the lonely sad vampire and so this was ticking a lot of boxes for me personally which is why i have loved forever night for so long is because it's about the distance between a vampire and the world they have to inhabit the mask they have to wear, and how that ends up becoming a wall between them and life. And so, oh, I just, we have a lot of good moments in this episode. And I'm not really interested in the, like, bald guy that wants to kill everybody. And he has a 9 millimeter automatic, just like the one that Rebecca had. And we see him very dramatically picking it up and leaving. We assume he's going to the concert. And Nick realizes that there might be a danger to... Rebecca, that he may have freed her only to because, have her die. Uh, on the news, yeah, somebody gave something to the news about what's going to happen. Yeah, and uh, they used the same phrase on the package delivered to the news. Yeah, to whoever's the, in charge. Or, right. Yeah, and, and so, so Nick is like, like, "Oh no! Oh shit! Somebody's going to try to kill Rebecca." And so he tries to get Skanky, but of course Skanky has gone to the concert with comped backstage passes. Oh, Skanky. And he is there in a leisure suit with the top, his, uh, his Probably shirt. Probably like four buttons down. Unbuttoned. And there is a significant amount of chest hair on display, which I want to know, did they apply that in makeup or is that just John Capellos's chest hair? Inquiring minds want to know, John, weigh in. Is that your chest hair? I mean, it, it's a look with the sideburns and the haircut and the leisure suit and the, it is a look. It achieves what It'd it's going like for. It'd be like somebody in the 2020s dressing like the 20 aughts. Yeah, wearing a baggy suit and tie. Like a parachute oversight. pants. <laughs> Shh. Matt had a pair of parachute <laughs> pants. I got rid of them. So we go to the dressing room, and Rebecca is not enthused to be back here. And we get like a little bit of chatter with the back up dancers where we establish that this is another night where they're going to be doing a recording. They're going to be lip syncing. Right. She's like, ah, who cares? We're going to be lip syncing anyway. And we go to the dressing room, and Rebecca's not enthused. And there's another woman there who we've seen a couple of times in passing, but she very much resembles Rebecca, and her name is Wendy. And she's acting super sus. She's like, oh, you okay? Rebecca's like, no, I'm not really that K, Wendy. And Wendy's like, well, you look okay. And then we cut away. And Nick is trying to get in. He tries flashing his badge, and it doesn't work. So he just hypnotizes the guy, and he's like, I'm with <laughs> the band. He just glares him down. <laughs> I'm with the band. Hey, where's your pass? 
Nah. I'm with the band. Okay. Go ahead. And the guy's like, oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. And he goes in. And Nick comes up beside Skanky just in time to see this guy. Because this guy got in with a full-ass 9mm in his jacket. Yeah, he's got an Uzi in his jacket. Yeah. And they didn't catch it. It's not a button jacket, nothing. It, I don't know. Why is the bouncer there? Wow, you took your life into your hands when you went into concerts in the 90s, I guess. You were just like, I really hope nobody brought anything because there's no metal detectors or anything. Um, and he pulls out his 9mm and he shoots everybody on the stage. And Nick does get to him, but it's a little bit too late. And so we see him go up to the to what we think is Rebecca because she was wearing her sunglasses and her blonde hair. And we just see it from the point of view of the dead body. Rebecca has passed and she is, or the, we see the camera is looking up at Nick. And so he throws his jacket over the camera and then the coat gets pulled back. And that's our transition, which is a really well done transition. Yeah. I was very and excited it's Natalie. About it. Like, you think I can keep this contained? Yeah. Natalie's like, um, I can't keep a wrap on this. And Nick's like, take a long time doing the autopsy. It's what you normally do. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I can't do that. And he's like, I don't know. Say, some, say you found something unusual and you have to test or something. I don't know. Just we believe in long shots, don't we? Let's give her a chance. And then we get our last little bit of um, music video. And it's Nick driving in his Cadillac. And it's pulling on to like a back road and the door opens and someone in like a cowgirl boot steps out. And then we cut to the precinct where everybody's arguing. And this is another moment where there's a lot happening in one little section and Nick is off by himself because the lawyer and the manager are like, what do we do? We, we can't, we need Rebecca. And he's like, no, 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 we don't. We own Rebecca. We own her image. And now that image is immortal. It will never die. And right. we can keep pumping out records, best hits, we remixes. We pump out a new, a new best hits for every sighting at a 7-Eleven. Yep. And if this is going to be great. We're going to sell more records with her dead than we ever were alive. Even though they know she's not really dead. They're right. like, we're just going to let this ride. The persona has died. The persona has died. The woman behind the persona, quote unquote, has left and, quote, died. Which, ironically, this is the plot from the first episode of Lucifer. In the first episode of Lucifer, there's a pop star that gets killed. And so Lucifer is investigating, and it turns out that she was murdered so that her music would get popular oh, again. Oh, booster music. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey. And then we see a like TV and we actually see Rebecca getting out of the car and then like turning to f to camera. Well, and that's smiling. after Nick finds her. Oh yeah. Well, oh yeah. I, cu I cut out that whole section. Oh geez. 
Yeah, I, I cut out our Euro that. minutes. Well, we had our Euro minutes because he's like, put a lid on it, Natalie. Just put a lid on it. And then he rushes off to go back to his apartment and brood for a little while. He's just got to prepare himself for what comes next, right. I guess. So then he goes back to the concert venue. Why? Well, but I really. He goes to the dressing room I like, and listens. I like this Euro minute. I don't know why I skipped it because he's actually sitting up in his like second story window yeah as on if he his, flew on his up clear there. story window. just with his knees drawn up just with his head resting on his his knees like he's so sad and lonely and it's so poignant and i really enjoyed that scene it's in a really random fucking spot it doesn't make any sense in the timeline but i liked living in that scene for right. a moment yeah they they could have put that filler somewhere else. Somewhere else. It just five minutes later, because he goes from there, we get a clip from Dark Knight where they use the clip of him in the car right. and he has his white sweater and his popped collar black jacket. And then he's driving and apparently he's going back to the concert venue because he goes in the dressing room and he finds her tied up. Which means if you believe the Euro minutes, he spent, oh, I don't know, an hour, two hours at his house just chilling while she, he knew she was tied up in the dressing room. <laughs> if we just dropped it, we could have dropped it after the scene where the Cadillac where the Cadillac is letting somebody out. We could have put it right there, right like he was preparing himself to tell the manager what was going on. Like we were waiting for the news to break. Right. That would have made so much more sense. So thank you for reminding me. Jeez. What would I do without you, honey? Uh, not have a pod lab. <laughs> That's true. You did too a lot of the work. I decorated it. <laughs> <laughs> like on purpose. <laughs> but we get to see her getting out of the car, turning to frame. And she's better. She's smiling. She's happy. She's ready to live the life that was taken from her in the way that Nick would have liked to live this life. Right. This is another music video moment for Nick because she's not actually on the TV. This is, no, this is him resolving that he can't necessarily free himself, but that doesn't mean that he can't use what he can do to free others. Right. He can't get some kind of a fresh start. Yeah. That he can make a difference. Yeah. Use, you know, use his eternal life to, change other people's lives for the better instead of for the worse by you know killing them yum (laughs) so that was a i mean that was an interesting episode i know i was wild i knew it was going to be wild i remember it as being wild but i don't think i was open to the emotional significance of what was happening i think it was just the oddness of the filming that I got distracted with the last time I watched it, which is why, for the same reason that I didn't watch Spin Doctor, was I was probably just a little bit too young. And so I'm glad I revisited it, because I know I've looked at it before and thought, oh no, that's the weird one with Nick the rock star. Because I'm usually in it for the flashback, and that episode doesn't have a flashback, so I haven't rewatched it in a long time. So that's why, like I said, I'm really glad we're going through this in order. Because even when I watched them originally, when they were syndicated on sci-fi, I don't think they played them in order. So, happy to be here, honey. I I got a thumbs up and a cool. Matt looks like he's about to pass out, so we're going to wrap this up. We have an Instagram. I'm sure you know that. It's a good Instagram. I post on it every day. I put up pictures of kitty cats. 
I put up teasers for the movie coming up. And remember, our movies go in fantasy, horror, sci-fi order. So if last week was fantasy, this one's horror, horror, then sci-fi, etc. If you have a moment and you've enjoyed our podcast, which I really hope you do, uh, please feel free to use our submission form as a way of giving us feedback and submitting in ideas. I'd be happy to have some ideas. Um, we have actually gotten a couple of suggestions, but because they're TV shows, it's hard to, we'll work them yeah. in. I'm very excited to work them in, but it, we're going to have to work them in sort of after forever night. So if you got some movies that you want us to watch, I'd be happy to watch them. Um, please throw that our way. And also just like, and subscribe and, Hit that subscribe button, five stars, whatever, anything to kind of help us get our name out there just to get other people listening to the podcast because the more feedback we get, the better we can make it. We also have a Patreon. I'm really, really hoping long-term to keep the whole podcast ad-free so there's no paywall for people that necessarily would like to listen but can't necessarily afford to not to pay to have the ads removed. Um, and that way that we would do that is just by having a robust Patreon. Uh, my plan is to start updating the Patreon with, um, information every day, like I update the Instagram. So if you want more long form stuff that will be over at the Patreon, uh, we have some really affordable tiers. We have a $3 tier, which maybe I should take a picture and put it up on Instagram, but the $3 tier gets you like access to our discord channel, uh, which we are on frequently. So anytime you want to pop in there and talk to us, we're around. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my sales pitch. I mean, if you guys like us, please feel free to show us that you like us. <laughs> please tell us you like us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like I said, last episode, my definition for success for this podcast would really just to be to have a community where people of like minds can come and chat in a kind supportive, dialogue-based community where we can maybe, even if you do disagree, it's a friendly disagreement, just like with Matt and I disagree. I think I would really enjoy that. That's what little Rachel wanted when she was watching Forever Night the first time through. It was just people to talk to about it. And so I'd love to have that this time. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Listening to a strange and beautiful network podcast, a network of shows focusing on unscripted discussions that promote positive but honest engagement with all the weird and wonderful topics that make our hearts happy.
I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to all our listeners. Your continuous support and engagement mean the world to us. So if you're enjoying the show, make sure to spread the love. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Network to stay updated on the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes peaks, and exclusive content from all our shows. You can also find additional ways to support this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strange and beautiful network. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to bonus episodes, early releases, our Discord channel, and other exciting perks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.